The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. Proudly made in the USA, customizable SeaDeck no-skid traction is non-absorbent, closed-cell EVA specifically formulated for the marine industry. For a free sample and more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Golden Mike Podcast, everyone. I'm the Noise of the North. I'm Dan of the Mano. I'm recording from my boat house studio here in Orlando, Florida. And now it's time for some audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Performance Ski and Surf right here in Orlando, Florida. Just minutes away from the Orlando International Airport, minutes away from the Orlando Water Sports Complex, and across the street, from the Florida Mall. Performance Ski and Surf has all the latest and greatest gears from the biggest and best brands in the industry. Hyperlite, Liquid Force, Ronix, Slingshot. They've got it all over there. Be sure to check them out. They've got all kinds of great deals all the time, especially if you mention that you are a Golden Mike podcast listener. You can find all the product online as well at perfski.com. That's P-E-R-F-S-K-I.com. And this weekend, April 22nd, I'm going to be announcing the second stop of the Performance Gravel Tour at the Orlando Water Sports Complex in Orlando, Florida. Find out more by following Performance Ski and Surf on Facebook and Instagram or check them out online again at perfski.com. All right, folks, we've got an awesome episode for you here today. This is episode number 65. Hopefully you guys had a chance to listen to episode 64, the bonus contest cast recorded at the Pro Card Qualifier with Malibu Boats and the WWA down in Orlando, Florida, just a few weeks back. Uh, Today's episode is with an old pal of mine, a guy who I was stoked to reunite with, Colin Wright. We recorded this over at another old friend's house, Zach Stone, up in Salem, Oregon. Zach Stone, Oregon Trail Trash, had a couple of really cool DVDs. In fact, he gave me some. Maybe I'll give some of those away a little bit later on. All right, so getting back to my guest today, Colin Wright, old friend of mine. Colin and I, uh, we lived together with Eric Ruck back around 2003. Colin was a guy I respected. His riding was the riding that I always looked up to. Uh, Needless to say, we had a great conversation. Colin kind of fell off the map around 2008, 2009. Uh, We go into some heavy stuff. Colin got into some uh, drug and alcohol abuse, and we talk about it. And uh, Colin is in probably the best place he's ever been in his entire life. If, If you guys have never heard of Colin Wright, you may remember him from the Sean Murray video game, Wakeboarding Unleashed. That's right, Colin was one of the 
riders on that. We talk about that. We talk about a whole heck of a lot more in this one, and it's all coming up here in just a few moments. Also, I want to remind you guys that I do have Golden Mike Podcast hats. It's brand new Mano merchandise, so make sure you check those out. I've got them posted up on the Golden Mike Podcast Facebook page, and it's a good way to support me, guys. That's right. Because I need your support. I need your support just like I need the support of all of my great sponsors. That's right. And it's because of those great sponsors and you listeners, of course, that the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free twice monthly on the first and third Wednesday of every month, except for this month when we gave you that bonus episode. You can find us online at noiseofthenorth.com. And now I have 34 episodes up on SoundCloud. The Golden Mike Podcast is on iTunes every episode. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Be sure to rate the show on iTunes and write us a little review there on iTunes. It means a ton and it helps a lot, especially with the sponsors. Now, if you don't have an iPhone or the podcast app, you can search any podcast app on your Android device. And then once you do that, search the Golden Mike podcast and you can normally find us pretty easily. To keep this podcast no charge to you, the listeners, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, Deck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, Woodrow, Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, GoPuck, Malibu Boats, Rockstar Energy, C4 Belts, CWB Board Company, Leadwake, and Ronix. Be sure to follow me on social media, on Instagram at DanoTMano, on Twitter at TheDanoTMano, and at the Golden underscore Mike. And be sure to like the Golden Mike Podcast on Facebook. You guys can always reach me through email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. Shoot me a message if you want to get one of those hats. All right, guys, we're going to be right back with Colin Wright right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. I want to talk about some of the folks who help support the podcast. GoPuck has been with me for so long, and of course, GoPuck is where I go for my portable power. They come in three different sizes. You can get the 3X, which is roughly three full smartphone charges. The 5X, five full charges. The 6XR equates out to six plus. These things are awesome. I live by it. I carry one with me everywhere I go. In fact, I carry two with me whenever I travel and whenever I'm at events. You always see me letting people use them to try them out. Uh, Now, you can get them online at gopuck.com. Use my promo code Mano 30, get 30% off of the GoPuck, plus every order over $49 gets free shipping. If you're in Orlando and you need a GoPuck in your pocket today, which I recommend everybody get, stop at Performance Ski and Surf. They've got them on sale there as well. And while we're talking about Performance Ski and Surf, I want to talk about the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour Series happening all spring and summer long stop number two coming up april 22nd i'm gonna be out there and announcing the gravel tour i think it's like my sixth or seventh season announcing for this series of events it's at orlando water sports complex the following day april 23rd there's another contest for the youngsters it's a cable contest king of the groms And actually, if you're competing at the Gravel Tour, you can get $10 off your entry fee for the King of the Ground. It's going to be an awesome weekend, April 22nd, the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour. Plus, whenever Gravel Tour is in town, you know that we're throwing out Dano deals of the day, giving out swag for some amazing prices. Find out more at 
perfski.com online or check out the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour page or Performance Ski and Surf page on Facebook. Without further ado, one of the legends, Colin Wright. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. the pioneers Colin right man what's going on dude long time long time yeah it's, well it's been a lot of years dude but we're back and uh really excited uh when i called you and you said you were down to be on the podcast um you're a guy who i looked up to a lot when i was a kid you had a style that i kind of related to i didn't like to go upside down yeah no upside downers <laughs> Yeah, so are you, uh, are, what are you up to these days? Are you riding at all or anything? Uh, I'm snowboarding a lot. I'm skateboarding a lot. Uh, the other extent of my riding is occasional wake surfing and some wake skating, but few and far between. Let's let's get started with, um, with your wakeboarding career and kind of when you wakeboarded and how you kind of got started and into it. I grew up on the river. Parents were on the water all the time skiing. I got a little bit of a background in the slalom skiing business. Like like traditional style or just like weekenders? Oh, traditional. I used to go to three event competitions as a kid, hit the jump ramp, do a little tricking. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, hit the course. I would never really put that together because you were kind of part of that like group of guys like who were sort of really trying to make wakeboarding its own thing and sort of stay away from the whole like water ski side of things. So like for a long time, you really weren't paying attention to the, the water ski stuff or really supporting it at all right <laughs> no i always had i always had a great deal of respect for water skiing three event like traditional um, events but as wakeboarding progressed i wanted it to stand alone and be totally separate so like what year was the first time you ever actually strapped into um, a um, proper board i got a scurfer for christmas in 1990 or 91 so, yeah, early, early 90s. I was scurfing, bro. I'm, I'm guessing it probably, how long before you transitioned on to something a little bit more, a higher end? Um, 90, 1994. And you remember what board that was? The straight line. Did some boards for a while. Then they became Neptune. Sure. But one of the first straight line boards. Right, right. I'm, I was actually surprised a little bit ago when you told me you were into the three event competition scene because in wakeboarding you were never really a contest guy did you ever compete in contests as a kid water skiing that was just the way to go meet up with other people and like get to especially for me there wasn't any slalom courses around except for at events so i just went to the competition so i could like go through the course and see what everybody was doing with wakeboarding um, I tried out some contests early on, but it became pretty clear that my style of writing and competition style of writing weren't really the same. <laughs> um, describe your style of writing. My style of writing, um, I mean, I guess free writing style, but like really big emphasis on like spinning, holding your grabs. Like I would rather do a 360 or a 540 that I could grab well than just huck a 720 or a 900. And I didn't do all the flips, especially if I couldn't grab it right. So my kind of riding just wasn't conducive to like getting on the podium. Seems like especially at that time, competitions were, it was weighed so strong on riders, especially if you're looking to get sponsored. So 
how were you able to get noticed as just like a free rider? Yeah, when I started um, contests, it was all about how you did in contests. If you did good in contests, you got the good sponsors. You ended up in uh, magazines, in videos. Um, fortunately, at the same time, I was getting out of high school and a little more serious about trying to pursue wakeboarding. Greg Nelson was doing double up wakeboards and he's always been a big advocate of style and kind of doing your own thing and having a little bit of that snowboard flair to it. And I happened to meet him early on. Was it soon after that you guys hit the road with the double up tour? Within like two years of double up getting started, started doing like the double up experience with the motorhome tour. Sure. Um, yeah. Were you guys one of the first guys doing like those, those tours going around and yeah, I mean, especially Greg really had that vision to do that with Double Up. And the first summer he did it, he was like the only company out on the road, um, you know, that just had a planned tour to hit all these different big shops and spots to ride. And then the next year, Kobe Mikasich, a couple of guys started doing it. And then I think like three, four years into it, it was like every company had some kind of motorhome tour going. Yep, and now we're lucky if there's even one motorhome <laughs> at an event. Um, so, okay, so um, so you guys are you guys are doing these tours, and what, what, what did these tours consist of? Oh, man, the, the tours, to me, that's what wakeboarding is. Um, what we did was we linked up with the shops that carried the product, and we'd set up a day for them, and we'd meet them at whatever like their local lake or river was. And anybody from their their shop or any of the, the customers could come out and ride for free for the day, try out our boards, hang out with us, and basically it was just like kick it and barbecue on the lake for the day. In between these these um, stops, are you guys going to contests and being seen at these contests as well? Nope. We, uh, <laughs> I mean, we really just planned out our whole summer was like, the double up tour and hitting the different shops we'd have like two three days off a week where we'd have just downtime to rest or just free ride for ourselves or in the northwest like go bungee jumping or go skate for a couple of days but uh we stayed like so far away from all the contests any of the other events how long did it take for like what you what you were doing to kind of get recognized mainstream the first year Greg was doing the double up experience, like the tour, that's when I, I was home quite a bit that year because I was starting to be able to go on more like filming trips and photo shoots with the magazines. Right around like 2000, 2001, it was like, I was able to kind of have my own little spot and mark in the sport of, of doing it the way I did it. How did, how did like people receive like what you were doing versus like maybe say what like guys like Darren Shapiro or Dean Lavelle, like some of these, you know, like, like at the, when you were kind of getting involved, like these top mm -hmm. names who in a way were just, they had a much different style than what you were doing. I mean, they're kind of gymnastics and you're very core snowboard style. Uh-huh. And it was, I mean, it was quite a transition or like such a different, like polar opposite, you know, of what those guys did. And for me, when I went out and did my thing, and especially as the videos came out and some of the magazines coverage, the people when I'd come back to the West Coast or be in Oregon or be down in like Discovery Bay, the Delta, everybody I'd be riding with and would be around and wakeboarding was so excited to see something different. 
and had so much support behind me to be like, dude, you look like you're snowboarding on the water. Like it just looks fun. And so it just pushed me to just go harder and harder in that direction. Do you feel like you were getting the respect from like the, from like those competition riders? Yeah. And that's, that's what I think helped make it, um, even better, like more okay in my mind was that I knew I had this niche cause I had these guys on the West coast, like where I connected with people, you know, stoked on it. But then too, I could go hang out with Darren Shapiro and he was like, man, it's tight. Like he liked what I was doing too. So were you able to like teach him something? Maybe he was able to teach you something or were you not really taking anything from what he was doing? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's kind of funny is that like towards the end of high school, like 95, 96, I went down to where Darren was doing his own little like wakeboard camp and rode with him a few times and got like some lessons and would try to work on like, you know, he'd try to push me to do like more flips and like Rayleigh's and Rayleigh's, that type of riding. And I'd just be like doing my spins and it was fun. Like we definitely like both respected what each other were doing. Right. Right. It's so funny. Like I, I received a couple of messages after announcing you were going to be on the podcast and people were like, Oh, that's so, that's so so great. I used to play as him in, in wakeboarding unleashed. So, um, I just kind of want to hear about that time in your life and how all that went down. Oh yeah, man. That was being in that video game was probably like what really cemented, I think my career and like being like a legitimate professional. I mean, so many people in that game came out. It was like, dude, you're one of like the six or seven guys in it. Um, I mean, that's like the highlight I think of, of anything I did in wakeboarding was getting to be a, a video game character. So who's in the game? You had Sean Murray, Parks, um, Kobe, um, Dallas, was Dallas it? was in it. Um, and at the same time, what was going on was Microsoft was trying to do one for Xbox and they were making people pick between the two. Like you had to be in one or the other. And so that's why like Byerly's not in there because his was going to be the other game. So there was a few guys that like opted out of it. So how did you choose to go with that game? Um, two of the main things I did, or I guess the deciding factors, Sean Murray got to pick the characters for the game. Like he made his list of who he wanted in it. And then the guys from PlayStation made the calls to all of us. And so I had a ton of respect. I still have a ton of respect for Sean Murray. So Sean like you know singling me out and being like I want you in this game and then I actually was chosen for the other game too and they were kind of having some pressure to pick one or the other and for me it was like I had a PlayStation at home (laughs) I was playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater all day so I just thought it made sense to go with like Sean was my homie PlayStation's set up in my living room like how do I not choose it so how often are Pete do people nowadays recognize you from that game? Dude, it's still like, I mean, I still probably like once every month or two come across somebody who's like, wait, you were in the wakeboard video game? Like, you know, it'll get brought up still over anything else that's happened in that career or life. So. Well, Colin, right here sitting next to me, I've got a couple of uh, videos here and Baker's Dozen is one of them. And not only did you... Um, star in a bunch of videos you filmed and produced a bunch of video content how many videos did you personally um make yourself oh personally i made 
I think it was five different videos. And you were like filming and everything, right? Yeah. What was, what, like, how did all of that, that process work out with that? Because I mean, in those days, are you on film or on tape? I don't even um, know. So we did it on tape. So they were DV tapes. Uh, had the Sony VX2000, um, which is like a three chip. So it's not like high definition like they've got now. But um, the two of the few contests I was ever in were put on by Blue Torch at the time. And I won like seven or eight thousand dollars in like two events and i took the money and bought like a good apple computer at the time bought the sony camera and was just tired of dealing with a bunch of video people that weren't really writers in my opinion or like had these really tight schedules like we used to have to show up in like in three or four days film a full part and so i just figured well, why don't we just film it when we're all out riding together? And like Shane Bonifay was doing the same thing with Pointless at the time. And so I just figured it out as I went. Do you have do you have any good memories from, from filming like any of those movies? Any standout moments from any of those films? For sure. I mean, I think with Sideways and filming with Ron, um, I mean, for me, a lot of that time period was like I'd, I met a lot of the other riders or really got to know them from going to their houses and riding with them. And then like with Ron, it was so fun making up our little skits that we did for like the intros of our parts because he was super open to like the ideas. So like in, um, I think six pack is the one where I like steal a car cause or no 12 honkies when we're like being like, we're like on the the run, you know, or being right. criminals or whatever. And I'm like, dude, I gotta be able to like, I'm going to dress up as a valet and steal a car. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, obviously, watching Shane and what he was doing, I can understand you saying, hey, it's time to take it into my own hands. But was there, like, a defining moment where you're like, all right, now it's time for me. It's my turn to, like, to do this. Yeah, I think two of the big things that, that were motivations to me were, one, we're all down there in Florida or, like, if I'm back home in Portland, I'd go out and be riding and land some trick for the first time ever, like land something super hard for me and be like, well, there's another day that, you know, that trick's just lost to like my memory, which is great. It feels good, but like, I don't have that for the part. Um, and so that was a big deciding factor was like, why don't we just have a camera going all the time and you just throw out the $5 tape if it doesn't work out, like big deal. Sure. And then skateboarders were doing that too at the time like Jamie Thomas with Zero Skateboards and some of those guys that were just making their whole movies uh, for their teams. It was like, well, you know what you're looking for. Right. Um, was there a video that was like the fa a favorite of yours that you're most proud of? Um, out of the ones that I made, I think the Baker's Dozen probably does have like the most, I mean, it's got like, it's got 13 riders in it. It has the most group of friends in it. Um, some like really solid parts in it. And like that one I definitely put in a lot of hours <laughs> on the computer putting it together. You were the baker. I was the baker. <laughs> I did a lot of baking at the time. <laughs> right, right. Do you do you like ever like look at what's going down now and kind of get like annoyed? You're like, man, if I would have had some of that back in the. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm an old guy. That's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that, that's what we're bred for. But right? it's it's true though. I mean, you look at it now, and I'm like, it just looks like what I wanted back then. Like, cause I was trying just to snowboard on the water and stuff. And like, I always went wake to wake. Like I wanted to land in a transition 
and now it looks like a like a little tabletop from snowboarding or something. I mean, it looks fun. Like, yeah, if I had that wake, oh, we'd be having a real different conversation right now, Dano. <laughs> you, you may you may have been doing the uh, the back mode fives and stuff. Oh yeah. Something else that I want to uh, touch on is the early days of wake skating. And, yeah. Uh, you were one of the first guys who was really taking wake skating serious. Um, do you think wake skating should be farther than it is right now? Yeah. I mean, I think... <laughs> I mean, the tricks I'm are like, amazing. Yeah, I'm thinking it through. I'm like, I think it should be farther. It deserves way more... I mean, it'd be nice if it could get more credit for what it is. Um, wake skating, yeah, especially early on, it was like there was a handful of guys out there doing it. And then, especially like Thomas Harrell and like the cassette crew and these guys that took it more into the skateboard style, like focused more on like shove-its and kickflips. Well, those guys fully pretty much gave up wakeboarding. Yep, and threw in the wakeboards. The reality is, is the tricks are there, um, the talent is there, and if I don't, I don't really know what it would what it would take, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. I think part of the issue is accessibility you know it's too bad that more um kids who have just like jet skis and little like bay liners or whatever kind of boat don't pick up on the fact that they'd have a blast wake skating um because that was kind of the big push in a lot of ways with it is like dude you don't need the eighty thousand dollar boat to go do this right and you can like you know essentially you're like skating on the water it's too hot for the skate park hit the river now, the Byerly Toe Jam was the pretty much the only wake skate contest going on. You put one on called the Hippodrome. Yeah. Uh, what what made that contest different than what, like, what Scott was doing? Um, it was pretty – I mean, I, I like to think it was, like, pretty similar to what Scott was doing. Um, what we did was Silas Thurman um, with, like, remote wake skates now and Nike guy and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, wake big, skate tour. Big-time guy, you know, <laughs> doing big things now. Um, he lived in Portland too and we were both wake skating a lot together in the summer and it was like all right Scott's got the toe jam going and the first couple years he did it the toe jam was just in Orlando and it was like you know like we'd kind of set off the summer um, like springtime he'd do a contest and then we're like all right dude we can do this like let's get a spot where we know the conditions are going to be pretty good and let's just have a ton of fun who cares if the crowd comes out to the event like let's do it to get all the skaters together and the magazines can cover it or like fuel tv can cover it but like let's just find a good spot and like let's try to help get this thing going progression wise it it definitely helped the sport right yeah i think so um and we did it on our own silas and i just did the whole thing the first two years and then the third year is when the guy who works with Scott on the toe jams came to us and wanted to incorporate it into like a wake skate tour for the summer. And so I was, I was like way hands off on it at that point. But the first two years, it was all about like, let's just help show that we can put these contests together. We can make it, you know, worthy for the guys to come out, you know, they can win some money. Um, and just kind of help get the sport some momentum. Do you follow the wake skate tour at all? Yeah, I've seen a little bit of it. I, I don't I don't personally know, but it just seems like like as far as like on the totem pole of standing sideways right now, wake skating seems to be like kind of overshadowed by by wakeboarding and and like wake surfing. 
Yeah, wake surfing's taking over. What is, and so, like, what are your thoughts on wake surfing? I mean, I think it's the sport we love to hate, but at the same time, it's super fun. And, I mean, the way I relate it now is that that's what people want to do. They want to go out on their boat and have a good time. And most people who can afford a big old wakeboard tournament type boat that puts out a big wake are at least in their late 20s, if not in their 30s or 40s. And they don't want to go out and get worked on a wakeboard or on a wakeskate for sure. They want to go surf with their friends, be five foot off the back of the boat, you know, talking to each other, having a good time. Um, so, I mean, it's as a wakeboarder, you're kind of like a little bitter about it, but it's like, it makes sense. Did you ever foresee that it would go come to the level that it's come to now? No, man. It was like this crazy transition. Like when I'd come down to Florida, like, yeah, when we're living at Rex together, we'd all go out and like do some like wake surfing, like a little morning warm up or on the weekends. And then I'd go home and in Portland, like I live on like my parents live on like this public waterway. So I hated seeing a wake surfer because they were just ruining the water. Like they were just plowing around. And then to now see, like, I don't see wakeboarders on the lakes or rivers around Portland. I see wake surfers. Right. And they're like, oh, I have a wakeboard. I left it at home today. Yeah. It's a trip. But do you ever get out, do you ever get out there and go for a wake surf yourself? But yeah, that's what's great is like all my friends that have boats that come by my parents' house when I'm hanging out. Yeah, I'll go wake surfing. Like I hop on the boat, take a little surf, get some slashes in. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how mu how much are you following the overall scene these days? Very little. Um, I still get Alliance magazine sent to me. Like, I still got my free subscription for life, I think. So, I flip through the Alliance every month. Um, I try to read some of the interviews, but some of them, I'm like, I don't even know this person, so whatever. And then um, my big connection is through Brian Grubb and occasionally, like, Parks or or like Watson or somebody if they come bungee jumping with us. It, you it like that the whole bungee jumping thing. That's that started like around here, right? It actually start it started in California the like vertigo? at least the Vertigo crew, you know, like I mean, they're some of the the uh grandfathers of the sport. Um so like what do you, like what are you guys what are you guys doing cuz I see a lot of uh footage coming up from from all of you, Colin, Grub, yourself and of course Vertigo. Mhm. Mm well, what a big, a big part of it now is um, Vertigo Bungie, like the main four owners, they purchased a bridge in Kentucky, so they've got their own site to do it now legally. Um, you can have the public come out, pay to jump, and there's not that liability over warning everybody they could get arrested <laughs> while you're on the bridge. So with that, there's just been a lot bigger push to be able to get all the guys out to jump. Um, it happens more often where we can get big groups. We're jumping during the daytime. At night, it's super hard to get the footage that we can get during the daytime. How different is it jumping during the day and during the night? Uh, it's very different. Um, I mean, it's one of those things that are both fun. I think jumping at night's pretty cool because you're like, especially if it's just like a floodlight, like just barely lining up where you're jumping to. Um, in the daytime, you your rebounds are way different. You get to see everything better. So you know kind of where you're coming around, like if you're doing any of the different tricks and stuff. As far as like the, getting back to wakeboarding, is there anything about the scene that you miss these days? Because it, it's been a while. What has it been, like 
seven, eight, nine years kind of yeah, removed? Yeah, it's been um, a solid like seven or eight years. I think seven years ago, I was probably completely off the map. Eight years ago, I was like burning out and like pretty much walking away. Okay, so like, like, do you did you do you like miss being a part of it at all? Or I think what I miss is being around some of my friends from wakeboarding because there's a lot of good friends and good times, and I miss you know there's a big part of like getting paid to just be on vacation all the time. That's pretty awesome. As as a guy who's not a contest rider, you were getting so much exposure, right? Yeah, and th- I mean that was I think from early on. That's how I figured out to do it was like, okay, there's the guys that have their like system of training down or whatever you want to call it to do contests. And I had to work harder to make sure I had enough photos to get coverage in the magazine and to be out filming. And so I just early on just created this work ethic of you get up at sun up, like line up a photographer for like every day of the week, like get people over, go ride at 7 a.m., lounge through the middle of the day and be back on the water for that sunset, you know, money shot. Yeah. And, you know, I think even today, I think, uh, you know, you still see some guys who are kind of using that recipe that, that you started, but you were pretty much like one of the, uh, maybe even the first guy who was able to sort of get away with that. And I wouldn't even say get away with it. Like I said, in my opinion, you were still working really hard. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, in a way though, it was getting away with it, especially for the time. Because especially early on when I got into that, I mean, I'd have other pros like sit me down, like some of the older guys, and give me like this heart to heart, like big brother talk of like, hey man, like it's cool what you're doing, but like if you want this to be your job, you need to start like flipping and going to contests. Like you got to step this up. And I just kind of laugh because in my mind, I had my plan and I didn't care if I had to work harder you know, do more of that kind of like photo shoot stuff, the 7 a.m. runs like that. I was going to like make a living to support my lifestyle. Right. And it and it, and obviously it shows that it was working. You had signature wakeboards for multiple companies, signature vests from yeah. multiple companies, um, handles, the handles, the vests, um, wetsuits. The boards, bindings. And Billabong, you were with Billabong. For, you were like one of the first guys with Billabong. Yep. You had that relationship going for, for so long. So, I mean, obviously they respected what you were doing. So, mm-hmm. hey, kudos to you, Colin, you know? <laughs> Thank you. It's a, so what would you say it, it would, would you say is like your mark on the sport? Oh, I would say my mark was, I mean, I hope the lasting mark I left was having fun like I just went out and had fun and like embraced a lifestyle of being on a board just having a good time like and did it how I wanted I didn't budge for anybody at any point in my career all right folks we're going to take a quick break with Colin right here on the podcast big thank you to Colin we've got a second half coming up but first I want to tell you a little bit about Boulder Boats and the first weekend of this coming May Boulder Boats WWA Malibu Rider Experience for the second year in a row out on Lake Las Vegas. This is kind of like a private resort type place that the event's going to be happening at. 
everything is there. They've got restaurants, of course, the wakeboarding, the wake surfing, the wake skating, the contest, all the sponsors happening on site right there. Find out all the information at Boulder Boats Facebook page or online at boulderboats.com. I'm really excited to be out there once again announcing we're going to be doing a live podcast episode. And it's an event you don't want to miss out on. Whenever Boulder Boats throws down, they always do it in a super fun and unique style. Malu has announced a great lineup of riders who are going to be on hand out there, including Chad Sharp, Jeff Langley, just to name a couple. Boulderboats.com or find Boulder Boats on Facebook to get more information. Now we're going to get back to the podcast episode, the interview with Colin Wright. As I mentioned earlier, Colin went through some times in his life and in his career. He was able to get through it all, but uh, I thought it would be important for all of us to kind of hear about it. And, uh, you know, just in case you know anybody in that same position or if you're in that same position, it, it just goes to show there is a way through it. So without further ado, here we go back with the second half of the interview with my good pal, one of the legends, Colin Wright. I want to I want to talk about you you'd mentioned you know there'd been those years that you kind of fell out and were off the grid a little bit off the map especially outside of wakeboarding um you know I don't know like it, definitely there's rumors that go around and oh, I'm sure. whatever um but I don't know if you if if you're down to kind of talk a little bit about um you know where you were at between you know 2008 2009 2010 and uh, up to kind of like where you're at right now. Absolutely. Um, well, as, as you probably remember, Dano, uh, when we lived at Eric's house, I think some of my alcohol use and abuse started to come out. There might have been um, an overdose night on alcohol where an ambulance was called. But essentially, yeah, what I, what happened was I I don't have an off switch when I drink or get high. And the partying lifestyle just really engulfed what I was doing. And towards the end of my wakeboarding career, I was just kind of in a darker place where I think I was burning out on what I was doing. And I started feeding how I felt with a lot more like drugs, alcohol, and just got swept up in addictions. And so at the end, like where I kind of just fell off the map, I basically, the drug use caught up to me to the point where I couldn't keep up with sponsors or I started getting grief. You know, people were starting to ask questions. Rumors were starting to circulate. And so my go-to answer is kind of how I'd done most things at that point in life was like, oh, okay, screw it. (laughs) And I just quit and just fell into like drug addiction. So, and and like how long was that kind of going on for? Um... I would say 2000, about 2008, it really was picking up. Like I got deep into like opiate pills and then into heroin and cocaine. Um, And it probably went on until it was about four years ago. So I battled with it until like 2013. I was kind of, I had like, uh, from 2010 to 2013, I had some like stents of like sobriety or some little periods of like, you know, quitting one thing and like just relapsing here and there. But um, yeah, there was probably like five years that were pretty, pretty heavy there. And then, yeah, the last four years has been all gravy now. 
So how how are you? For, well, obviously, I'm I'm guessing you you have to identify within yourself that something is wrong, right? Yeah, for sure. So like, when did that happen, and then how were you able to get through that? Um, I think the big piece was uh, yeah, you definitely like, you know, from what they say as a community of like recovering people, yeah, you've got to find a reason for yourself to get clean and sober, and for me, um. For years and years, I had fueled being able to ride and have this wild lifestyle, but still be riding. And then later in my addiction, I wasn't snowboarding anymore. I wasn't skateboarding, wasn't wakeboarding, couldn't go bungee jumping. Um, so all these things I loved in life were gone. And all I was left with was myself and drugs. And I knew, like, that's not what I wanted. Like, I wanted to get back to life. I wanted to be out living it. So... Uh, fortunately I finally came to that realization and that's when I was finally able just to give it all up. And, uh, how were you able to do it all? Uh, I went through treatment. So early on, you know, I, uh, I did the full, like go to treatment, stay for a couple weeks, go to groups, go to narcotics anonymous meetings, you know, make like a full recovery, like support network. And then started really focusing in on what I wanted to do with my life. Like basically the, uh, the next chapter in my life, like moving past wakeboarding and trying to move forward. Where are you at now? And like, what are you doing? So now I'm a certified alcohol and drug counselor in Oregon. So I, I work with other people on their addictions and treatment centers and I'm going to school again to get a master's degree in like being a therapist and counselor. And, um, loving like snowboarding all the time two three days a week skateboarding all summer um you know just like totally putting everything in my life that i enjoy and makes me feel good and just getting rid of the rest when you tell somebody that you're like a drug and alcohol abuse counselor now like a lot of the like the folks from the old days like what are they what kind of reactions do you get <laughs> oh dude it's hilarious i love it it's like i think two of the best reactions are what I like to do, cause, I mean, it's no secret. Like when I was through all of my wakeboarding career, if there was ever a guy to go find at a contest or an event to smoke weed with, it was me. I always had a bag of weed. <laughs> like everybody always recognized that was me. So now it's great. Like I'll see somebody I haven't seen in years and they come up and they'll start like they're smoking a joint or something. And they're like, oh, hey, man, they go to pass it to me. I'm like, oh, no, I don't do that anymore. And then they ask what I do, and I get to be like, oh, I'm a drug and alcohol counselor. And people, like, freeze up at first and think, like, there's going to be some kind of reaction or something. Or, like, a bust. <laughs> yeah, like a bust. Like, I'm about to pull them into treatment or something. Oh, dude, I love it. And just the shock that people have when they're like, wait, what do you do now? <laughs> Could you ever foresee yourself maybe not coming back in as, like, a pro rider, but maybe somehow putting your foot back in the door in the world of, of, of water sports at all? Yeah, I mean, I think what would be fun to do now would be, like, a life coach for some of these kids. <laughs> and not even, like, not to say, like, everybody has to be clean and sober or anything like that. Just the business side of it, like, I mean, we were talking, I did it my way, and, like, I didn't budge for anybody. Looking back, I probably could have, like, negotiated a little of that better to, to you know, make more money or, like, be more professional in some aspects of it. But 
I just see a lot of kids that go through the same mistakes I did with like not knowing how to negotiate with sponsors, you know, not knowing how to market themselves. Well, and then, and also you can probably give them advice on kind of maybe learning how to know when it's time to say, uh, I'm done for the night or, you know, no thank you. And uh-huh. how to kind of balance that kind of stuff as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially, you know, it's like, um, I mean, I, I didn't really hide it from anyone and it cost me some sponsors over the years. Like there was times like it wasn't that I was like that out of control, but if you meet some conservative person that's 50 years old from the Bible belt of America, who's going to start paying you $2,000 a month and you go, you show up smoking a joint and drinking and driving and all kinds of crap. Like they're a little taken back by it. Sure. (laughs) And I mean, there's times like that, that I easily could have like, just waited two hours yeah but sometimes i don't know like when you're like in that those moments it's almost sometimes kind of like fun you know it's sick that it's like this but it's almost kind of like fun to be like oh look i can go and i can be like that in front of these people and uh-huh. maybe they know maybe they don't know maybe they know and they're just not saying anything because of how and cool i am or whatever there's totally like on two parts of that there's like this ego trip that comes into it i think especially as like when you're in your early 20s and you get paid to ride a board, you know, it's kind of a joke in a sense. Like, I'm getting paid to do what people like to do for fun. And you know you can take it so far in so many ways. Like, sometimes I would just test people to see if, like, they'd even have the balls to tell me to put out the joint in the car or to not drink in the boat. You know, I'd just be like, let's just see if he'll even say anything. Let's see how comfortable he is around me. Like, he's paying me, but let's see if he'll actually, like... Like, you're there to coach, and all of a sudden you're cracking a beer, and... Yeah, like, let's just see if they haven't say anything. Yeah. You know, and, like... And I think one of the times I remember, though, where it was, like... This is probably pushing it a little far, was, like... We went out drinking. There was, like, a big wakeboard nationals in um, Orlando. And I was judging at the time, too. And so part of the judging duties for nationals was you had to even judge, like, the little kids, like the five-year-olds and six-year-olds. Yep, still like that. And I went out drinking all night. Like, I think I had finished my last beer at, like, six in the morning and went straight to the lake because the kids ride at eight in the morning and got in the boat. (laughs) And I'm judging, and a kid fell, and I made Travis Moy, the boat driver, I'm like, hey, you got to just stop for a second. And I was just puking off the side of the boat while all the parents are lined up on the shoreline watching their little kids riding as the judge is hanging off the boat puking because his hangover is starting to kick in. And at that time, you just never even thought twice about it. <laughs> no, it didn't even seem like I just laughed it off. And like the head judge, like one of the coordinators of the event, you know, he pulled me aside later. And the only talk I got was like, hey, man, like try to make it to the dock and get to like the outhouse, like the porta potty and puke, like suck it up for like 10 more minutes. Right. It wasn't like you do that again, you're fired. Thank you for like telling the story and you know, oh, yeah. and to actually know what was going on and stuff is it's, I think it's, it's going to be like really, really good for a lot of people out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's like on that line too, it's like, especially cause towards the end of like the last year, two years of, of my wakeboarding career, yeah, like I was way more hit and miss. Some trips I'd show up places or events and you could tell like I was way off my mind. And other times I'd seem okay and then I just 
completely went off the radar. And it's good. I mean, people should know, like, this stuff happens. I've had some people reach out, too, over the years. Um, other, like, wakeboard people or wake skaters that have hit me up from Facebook and stuff that, that too, went through their struggles and been like, oh, it's cool to know, like, I'm not the only one. All of the years that you traveled and all of the years that you had the opportunity to do, you know, to live the dream and, and go around the U.S. and, I'm sure, abroad, uh, was there any, like, standout trips that yeah. come to mind? Um, I went to New Zealand. That was just an unreal trip. You know, just for sightseeing, like, just fun. Like, I was rolling solo. I, like, flew into New Zealand, and, like, a wakeboard distributor from, from New Zealand picked me up and took me all over the country for 10 days. You know, stuff like that was unreal to be able to go do and have somebody else foot the bill the whole time. Um, and then like trips, uh, one of the standout trips for sure was, um, Canada with Brian Grubb and Kevin Henshaw. And it was when Kevin was like first, like, I think this was like his first summer of technically being like a professional. Like I had never met him before. He showed up. It was a billabong road trip. We had their like big motor home, like tour bus. And we went from Montreal to Vancouver and it was like another like 10 day trip. And, like, dude, three guys. We had two team managers with us, like, company credit cards. And everywhere we went in Canada, they set up a party for us, like an event, like a club party. And we had the motorhome parked out front. And, like, I mean, we just all rallied hard. <laughs> At the end of the day, did you guys get some good footage or photos? <laughs> no, there was absolutely no Well, during the days, we got some good footage and <laughs> photos. I mean. Yeah, we were making sure the cameras and everything else were put away every night. What's your impression on wakeboarding in 2017? Um, I mean, I do. I see enough of it that it's it's kind of bizarre to me, though. Like, seeing some of the stuff, like, because they do the double flips now, like, wake to wake. And yeah, the 1080s and all this stuff. But it, the hard part for me is it looks like it's gone back to what we were trying to change it from in the first place. <laughs> and just my like old guy sense here, like the whole point was we pushed to like, you got to grab your spins, like you got to like grab your flips, like do stuff clean. And now it's like just about doing the most again, not so, like how it looks. What would you be doing different than like the guys nowadays, you think? I think I'd be doing more rap tricks so you could grab longer um, and looking at like, you know, big like like doing stuff switch again. Like I'd like to see a little more switch movement. I'd be trying to do like switch backside nines and back nines and just grabbing stuff um, and just putting a lot more emphasis on like slowing it down and making it look good versus just doing the most. So it'd kind of be the same path I was on. I would just like try to add 360s to stuff. Are there any um, riders that you're surprised that are still kind of a part of it or still in the game? I don't know if I'd say surprised or impressed. <laughs> I mean, I think what's great is like I thought about this on the way down here, like because I was just kind of reflecting back to like the dudes I used to know, like dudes I still see, and like there's all these new pros now, but it's great to see like parks and Grubb and Watson and some of these dudes that still have like, they've made, they're like a name, you know, like it's a marketable like piece of wakeboarding. It's not just about their riding. 
like they're iconic like they're relatable to the sport um i think what's impressive is like brian grubb is still like on top like we go bungee jumping three four times a summer and he'll come back and he's like he's been on the podium at every contest he goes to still he's like i just won wake skater of the year yeah he's like dude yeah exactly he'll send me a message be like dude seriously like i'm wake skater of the year like in my 30s like it's rad like he's and he's a great like spokesman for that sport i think you know he's great at like he's a people person he can speak like intelligently to people so they like can follow and like he's relatable on like so many levels to so many people um and then i think what's like maybe a little more surprising but like cool is guys like parks that you don't even see riding anymore but like he is the epitome of what I think wakeboarding, like the energy around it is like having a good time and being out just on the water, just doing it and like friendly and so personable also like, it's just cool to see that. What about like young guys or are there any name? Like, is there any name that you know of these days? Anybody that stands um, out? Cause I'm like thinking a guy, like, I don't know if you've heard of this kid Gunther Oka, but I think you'd probably yep. like his style a lot. Yeah. There's a couple of those kids I've seen like Gunther. You're right. Um, I saw some part of his like on Instagram or like somebody like tagged him in a feed or something. Um, and then other wakeboarders, like there's one of the kids on Ronex is really tight. Like I saw a part of him at, um, is it Lake Ronex? Yeah. You're probably talking about Jake. Yeah, Jake. I was like, yeah, dude, this kid, like, that's how you should ride. Everybody Jake else takes Palat. some notes. Yep, yep. Yeah, Jake Palat, for sure. Yeah, one of the hardest working young guys. Uh, he's also judging, too. Nice. At the events and stuff, so. And uh, that's cool, too, you know, like, getting out there, like, being part of it, not just being above it all. And could, then, you could know, Could you like, see yourself getting back into the judging at all? I could see doing it, like, here and there. You know, like, just a pro event, like laying it down putting in my opinion what about um, like what about um as far as like coaching or anything like that do you see like do you i'm a horrible coach <laughs> hey, i i know all about it I'm, I, I wouldn't say i'm the best <laughs> i've gone backwards like i get like i know how to do stuff but the older i get the more i just want to be like dude just feel it out like just what's gonna work for you like hold an edge pop it turn it do it like you can only say keep your head up your chest up arms in arms out so many yeah times. like you can only see that robotic stuff so many times or get up on the back of the boat and like hold a handle and show them right like dude just can watch a video man like do it the same way you'll be good anybody you want to send shout outs to or thanks for like supporting you th over the years any sponsors even still to today um well i sponsor myself today so big shout out to me <laughs> Um, which is great because I don't have to answer to anybody. But yourself. But myself. And sometimes that's the hardest person to answer to, right? Oh, that's right. Um, but see, but in all honesty, um, you know, Greg Nelson, I have to give him a big shout out and props. I mean, that guy was double up. He is what made my career possible to start it off. Like he laid the groundwork for me to be able to do what I did. And then, um, I mean, the closest thing I got to a sponsor now is Vertigo Bungie. I mean, doing that up, like, I mean, that's a big part of my life. And, uh, yeah, Vertigo is where it's at. Social media, as far as people following you or if they want to, if anybody wants to, like, reach out to you or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I have a Facebook. <laughs> I don't look at it very much. It's uh, 
I think just Colin Wright, Facebook, whatever. I'm going to look at my Instagram right now because I don't even know what it's it Colin is. Colin Wright with two L's. I, I know because I did oh, tag yeah, you in a point. post. Colin Wright, two L's. Um, and you are bungee jumping in your profile picture. Oh, and, and here we go. We got a, it's C underscore doubler. That's D-U-B-B-L-E-R. C underscore doubler. The C doubler, that's you, man. C doubler's up in it, making some jumps here. Follow it on Instagram. Very good. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, just message or direct message yeah. or anything like that. Hit me in the DM, dog. Done. Done and <laughs> done. done. All right, guys. So there it is. Colin Wright, C-O-L-L-I-N, Wright on Facebook, C underscore doubler on that Instagram feed. The Baker himself, the Baker's Dozen. Uh, shoot me an email, goldenmike at noiseandnorth.com if you want me to send you one of these Colin Wright signed uh, current uh, wakeboard video magazine DVDs. I only have two of them to send out, so make your story compelling, people, and maybe I'll hook you up with some free swag. Colin Wright, thanks, man. You know it. Thank you, Dano. All right, guys, we'll be back with more right here on the Golden Mike Podcast, baby. Dig it. Oh, yeah. C4 belts are the newest wakeboarding accessory to hit the market. Made of premium TPE thermoplastic, C4 belts are waterproof and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Available in multiple colors and designs, C4 allows you to mix and match straps and buckles to create your own unique color combinations. C4 stands for choose your color, choose your cause. Look good, do good. C4 belts. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and the love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Use my promo code MANO30 and you'll get an additional 30% off your entire order. Once again, that's promo code MANO, M-A-N-O-3-0 at Woodrose.com for 30% Set off everything. That's W O O D R O Z E dot com. The Golden Mike Podcast is back with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano, presented by C Deck Marine Products. Well, there it is, man. Unbelievable. Colin Wright. Thanks a ton, dude. Quite possibly one of my best episodes ever. It was great seeing Colin. It's been way too long. Uh, after the podcast, we talked, and Colin said there's a chance he's going to show up. We're actually going to be doing Malibu Rider Experience up in Portland later on this summer, and he said there's a chance that he's going to come out there, maybe judge a little bit, but uh, hopefully we'll see him back on the water and riding. So that was exciting and really great to catch up with him, and again, thanks to Zach Stone for hosting us on that one. All right, guys, let's talk about some upcoming events. April 22nd, that is this coming weekend. The second stop of the Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour. I also want to remind you that the first stop of the Gravel Tour has been rescheduled for June 11th, and I believe the third stop is going to be on June 10th. I know that 
is kind of all jumbled around, but you can check out Performance Ski and Surf's website, perfski.com, or the Gravel Tour, uh, Performance Ski and Surf Gravel Tour on Facebook. Also, that weekend of April 22nd to 23rd, OWC, they're going to be having their annual cable event. Uh, This year, it is going to be called King of the Groms, so I'm going to be announcing that, and I'm looking forward to it. The following weekend, we have got the Nautique Wake Open right here in Orlando, Florida. From there, we're going to open up the month of May out in Las Vegas, Lake Las Vegas with Boulder Boats, the Malibu WWA Rider Experience. Have a couple of weekends off, and then May 19th, that weekend, going to be out in New Braunfels, Texas, the Texas Ski Ranch. We've got cable stock or some sort of event like that. I'm getting all of the information as we speak on that. And the following weekend, Callaway Gardens, we have got the Nautique Masters, my 12th or 13th year, going to be announcing. Really, really excited about that event. All right, folks, if anybody out there listening is interested in having me announce or commentate or do voiceover work, or appear at your next event. Maybe you want to advertise on the Golden Mike Podcast. Hey, maybe you just want me to record your voicemail message, huh? Or you have a question. Any which way, guys, email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. You can also message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. That's also a great way for you guys to pick up one of my all-new Golden Mike Podcast dad hats. Remember, folks, I am on iTunes, so make sure you find me and subscribe. Please rate and review the podcast, and uh, check us out on SoundCloud. I've got the first 34 episodes ever up there right now for you guys to listen to. Follow me on Twitter at the Dano T Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike on Instagram at Dano T Mano. And be sure to like us on Facebook, the Golden Mike Podcast. All right, big shout out one more time out here on my West Coast, Pacific Northwest Coast trip. Colin Wright for being one of my awesome guests and a great old friend of mine. I want to send a few shout outs to the sponsors and folks behind the scenes. Thank you to SeaDeck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, Woodrow Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, GoPuck, Malibu Boats, C4 Belts, Rockstar Energy, Leadwake, CWB Board Company, Ronix, Jenna Hamill on the web, and Rich Walsh on the audio. Guys, that's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North. I'm Dan of the Mano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.